right, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah this evening. We'll continue our study in these minor prophets. Book of Zechariah this evening as we continue our study in the minor prophets. Really, we're getting ready to wrap it up. This is the 11th of the 12 minor prophets. And so we're starting into Zechariah this evening. I think we'll finish it up next Wednesday, Lord willing. And this is the 20th message in this series of messages, trying just to get a, uh, not much more than a, uh, an overview or a survey of each book, maybe a little bit deeper than that, but not an in-depth study, but trying to give you a better understanding. And i got to admit that I have struggled through the book of Zechariah and how I could present it. I mentioned on Sunday that when I preach, I like to have my messages contain education, application, and motivation. And as I've learned so much through my study of Zechariah, I feel like I could be really heavy on the education side this evening. And I still want there to be application and motivation for us, but I have learned much in this study of this book. Along with Hosea, it's, it's uh, the longest of the minor prophets, 14 chapters. And uh, it's also the one of the, it's the most quoted minor prophet in the New Testament. Uh, it is quoted frequently, and it, uh, it has many prophecies, especially if you get in chapters 9 through 14, many prophecies of Jesus, of the Messiah. And so it's, a, it's an interesting book. I'd encourage you to do some study. If I was going to title this, this study, this out of Zechariah, I came up with this, 8-4-2. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? But uh, I want to use those three numbers to help us remind us of what we're looking at this evening. So the numbers 8, 4, and 2. Let's look at verse number 1, first of all. Zechariah 1-1 says, in the eighth month. In the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and the son of Adu, the prophet, saying. Now, there are multiple Zacharias in the scripture, and, uh, but the, the, the lineage here given in verse number one clarifies who this guy is. And it's interesting, as I was reading and studying, I came across some notes of the names, what these names of these men mean, Zechariah, Berechiah, and Edu. Uh, Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. Berechiah, his father, his name means Jehovah blesses. And then Edu, the grandfather of Zechariah, means the appointed time, and someone said if we could combine all three names, it would give us this thought, that Jehovah remembers and blesses in His time. Isn't it good for us to remember uh, that in all that's going on around us, God's still in control, uh, God is still working His plans, and He remembers and He blesses, and let's not forget this, in His time. Uh, reminded me, in fact, Sarah mentioned one of the verses, Isaiah 55, she mentioned verse number 9, but verse 8 and 9 uh, are those verses where it says that, that God's ways and His thoughts are above our ways and above our thoughts. 
And um, we need to remember that when we're living our lives, that God is above and knows more and has a different timetable than we often have. But that Jehovah still remembers and Jehovah still blesses, but it's going to be in his timetable. And good thought for me to remember there just from those, those definitions of their names. As with many of the prophetical books, uh, these minor prophets, there were warnings and messages for the people of that day as well as future prophetic things. Now you remember Zechariah follows Haggai in our order here, and the Haggai and Zechariah were those two prophets that were working with Ezra, working with Zerubbabel, working with Joshua, uh, as they have left their bondage in Babylon. Babylon has fallen to the Persians, and Cyrus has said you can go back, and Darius, his son, continues with that mandate. And, and so they've brought a, a, a group of Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And um, if they get, after they get started, there's delays placed on them. There are people that are against them. There are enemies there, and they've caused government red tape, and the building of the temple has stalled. In fact, they got a foundation built and an altar built, and then it just sits there, I think, about 20 years. It just sat there. And during that time, people went about their own lives and started building their own homes and their own lives. And Haggai comes on the scene, and, and he says, listen, go out there and finish the job. In fact, there's a passage there in Haggai that says, go to the woods, go to the hills, get wood, and get back and build God's temple. And uh, in fact, Haggai's message could be summarized in chapter 2 of Haggai, verse number 4, where he tells them to be strong and finish the work. Well, Zechariah was also one of these prophets that helped with Ezra, that helped with Zerubbabel, that helped with Joshua, that helped with Haggai. And his message was giving them the source of their strength. Look at chapter 4 of Zechariah. Look at chapter 4, verse number 6. It says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, the saying, Not by my might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so where Haggai is telling them, Be strong, Zechariah is telling them where they're going to get their strength by the power of the Lord God Almighty. And he gives them the source of their strength. As other of these minor prophets, there's a, often a call for repentance, getting right with the Lord. Back in Zechariah chapter 1, notice in verse number 3. Therefore say, unto the, uh, say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 4, But be ye not as your fathers unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. And so there's this call for repentance. And did you notice that if they would repent, God would repent. If they would turn, God would turn. 
And so there, uh, Zechariah is calling for the people of God to get right with God and to turn back to God. And isn't it wonderful to know that when, when we'll get right with God, God's always there waiting and ready for us to be, get right with Him. Uh, God is always anxious for us to return unto Him and to be made right with Him, and He would long for us to do that. And, and they are encouraged to do this. Well, as I get into this 842 thought this evening, I want to share with you an outline of the book of Zechariah. In chapters 1 through 6, those chapters are built around eight different visions that Zechariah has. Eight visions that are given to him. Notice in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, I saw by night... And behold, a man riding upon a red horse. There's that thought of, hey, he saw by night. There's this dream. There's this vision. Look at verse number 18 of that chapter. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Chapter 2, verse 1, I lifted up mine eyes again. Chapter 3, verse 1 is the fourth vision. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Chapter number five, verse number one, uh, excuse me, chapter four, verse number one, uh, gives us the, the, uh, the fifth vision. It's actually in verse number two. He says, And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I looked, and behold, a candlestick. In chapter five, verse number one, the sixth vision is mentioned there. Then I turned, and I lifted up mine eyes, and looked, and behold, a flying roll. Now, that's not bread, that would be a scroll, something they would write on. You ever been to that restaurant down in Missouri and also in uh, Alabama, Lambert's, the home of the throat roll? Uh, I don't know if that's where they got their, their thought for it, but they'll throw biscuits from across the room at you there. And, and so, but uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 5, Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see. This is the seventh vision. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, And I turn and lifted up mine eyes. And this is his eighth vision. He saw four chariots. And so there are eight visions that are, that are talked about in those first six chapters. Now I'll come back and speak about those visions in just a moment here. But in, then in chapter 7 and 8, there are four messages that those two chapters are built around. So we've got eight, and now we've got four, four messages in chapter 7 and 8. Notice with me chapter 7, verse number 4. He says, then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, uh, look at verse number 8, the second message. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, chapter 8, verse number 1, the third message. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, and then you go down to chapter 8, verse number 18, and the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, these four messages are introduced with this thought of the Lord came unto Zechariah saying. We'll talk just a little bit about those messages in just a moment. But let me finish the outline. That was 8, that was 4. Chapters 9 through 14 now focus on two burdens. Notice with me chapter 9. Uh, look at verse number 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord then the burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus shall be the rest thereof when the eyes of man and all the tribes of Israel shall be toward the Lord. He mentions the burden there in verse number one. 
And then you get to chapter 12, verse number 1, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. So chapters 1 through 6, there's eight visions. Chapters 7 and 8, there's four messages. Chapters 9 through 14, there are two burdens. And this would be your basic outline of the book. But what about these visions, these eight visions? You hear them described or you read them here in in Zechariah. It's like... uh, it seems like Zechariah had pizza late at night and went to bed late and, and it affected the way he slept all evening. He had heartburn and, and it didn't sleep good and the dreams just were vivid and wild. Uh, think about this, just some descriptions. Chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. There's a man on a red horse amongst the myrtle trees. That makes sense, right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He sees four horns and then four carpenters four builders, four craftsmen. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, he sees a surveyor with a measuring line. In chapter number 3, verse 1 through 10, he sees the high priest Joshua. He's got filthy clothes on. His, His garments are filthy, but yet they're cleaned or they're replaced and renewed. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, he sees the golden candlesticks and the olive trees. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he sees this flying roll or scroll. Chapter 5, verse 5 through 11, he sees a woman in an ephah or a basket that they would use for measuring uh, grain and things of that nature. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, he sees these four chariots. Now again, remember, he's come there to, to get the people to turn to repent. He's come there to uh, remind the people that they have the strength of the Lord in them to complete the task, as well as giving future advanced warning of things. And so there's some purposes behind these visions. We won't take time to study them out, uh, each of these visions, but let me give you some purposes, five thoughts of what these visions were accomplishing. First of all, these visions, which by the way, all came in one night. Eight dreams in one night. And he remembered every one of them as the Lord gave him these visions. Number one, they were used to predict God's protection of his people. God was going to protect his people. God has a covenant with the nation of Israel, doesn't he? God is still to this day, isn't it amazing? You think of that little tiny nation in the middle of that that part of the world. There's no way in the world you would think that they would still be there today, right? Right? Everybody is against them in that region of the world. I was talking to someone the other day, in fact, Sunday after church, someone came to me and frustrated with our nation and with the direction we're headed and all the things, and I would join right in with them with the frustration. And um, he says, well, I I just don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to survive. And I said, well, I don't know either, but I do know one thing. I said, the day that we ever turn our back on Israel, we're done. I said, that will even, that'll be our nail in the coffin. God has promised the, this, this, his blessing and his, his protection over this nation. And he's promised a blessing to those that will bless his, his people. And so it predicted God's protection of his people. These visions, they show God's renewal and purification of the priesthood. Now where have they been for the previous 70 years? Do you remember? They're over in Babylon. 
They don't have a temple. Their worship is not in full practice. But now they're back and now they're rebuilding the temple. Joshua's there with these old tattered, uh, dirty priesthood garments. But that gets replaced and renewed in that vision. God's showing them, hey, I'm going to get this worship and this, this Old Testament worship going again as described in the law. It symbolizes these visions, symbolize the rebuilding of the temple this temple that was to be built. Uh, these visions, they, they show God's judgment on evil. And then I like this one here. Uh, these visions, at least in part, some of them show the coming of the Messiah, uh, that Christ would come. Those were the eight visions. Let me speak briefly this evening on the four messages, and then next week we'll come back and Reemphasize some things through the uh, the visions and the messages, and then wrap up with the, the the two burdens next Wednesday. But let's consider for just a few moments now the four messages. The word of the Lord came. Uh, look with me again to chapter seven, verse number four, and this is the first message, and it's a message of rebuke. Uh, let's just read this particular one. It's only a few verses. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh uh, 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 month, even those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? When ye did eat and when ye did drink, did ye not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities there round about her when men inhabited the south and the plain? Now verse number five, he again, he's speaking to them. He says, you are fasting and mourning in the fifth and the seventh months, but he's referring back to their time in Babylon. It says there when he says even those 70 years, those 70 years of bondage, you're, you're away from here and you continued your fasting and your mourning, but he calls them out in verse number 6 that they were doing it for themselves. It became a ritual. And if we were going to title that message, this message of rebuke, it would be uh, uh, that the Lord de demands an authenticity a realness rather than just ritual. If we're not careful, church, church can become ritualistic to us. It can just be about the habits. It can just be about the routines. We come and, and listen, I am grateful for you all being here this evening on a Wednesday night where the weather is not, not well. But if we're not careful, even in this habit of church attendance, we're missing the reality of it. We're missing the authenticity of it. And there's a, there's a message of rebuke here. Uh, he says, listen, you, you were there for your 70 years in Babylon, and you're just participating in that stuff for yourselves. I'd encourage us to have an authentic, uh, a real relationship and fellowship with our Lord. In chapter 7, verses 8 through 14, we won't read all the verses, but it was a message of repentance uh, notice with me, see if I can find verse number 9. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgments and show mercy 
and compassions every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of, your, uh, of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. This was a message of repentance. And if we were going to title this message, it would be compassion rather than complacency. Uh, have some compassion for those around you. And he gives some illustrations of this. It's easy for us to become hard-hearted towards others. Perhaps uh, we often don't allow our hearts to be uh, uh, touched with situations and circumstances, and it's good for us to have that compassion. Chapter number 8, verse number 1 through 17 is a message of restoration. If we were going to title those 17 verses, those, that, that third message, it would be turning problems into peace. Let me remind you, we're always going to have problems, aren't we, here on this earth. Uh, in this world, we're always going to have difficulties. I am right with Brother Kinsey as he prayed for a deliverance from this plague. I, I am praying for that. I'm praying that there will be a normalcy someday. But there will be something else behind it, won't there? There will be something else come down the line at some point. There's always going to be problems but there can always be peace as well. Peace in our hearts. Peace with God. Trusting God. Was it last Wednesday that Brother Kevin led us in that song, I Just Keep Trusting My Lord? And it really spoke to me that evening. Just keep trusting the Lord. No matter what problem comes, just keep trusting my Lord. And our problems can be turned into peace. By the way, God's the only one that can do that, amen? Give us a peace that passes all understanding. And then finally this evening, in chapter 8, verse 18 through 23, it's a message of rejoicing. And if we were going to title that, that particular passage of Scripture, it would be from fasting to feasting. Now that's a good, good title to think about there, isn't it? You ever been on a fast? Whether it was an on-purpose one or you were ill or whatever and there's been days without food or not much food and, and then go into a time of feasting, a time of celebration. And there is much rejoicing going on in chapter number 8, verse 18 through 23. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting I just started studying on the two burdens and let me just... I want to share just this thought with you from chapter number 9 this evening, and we'll talk more about it next week. But in chapter number 9, he says in verse number 1, The burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach in Damascus shall be the rest thereof, when the eyes of man and all the tribes of Israel shall be toward the Lord. And now it goes into a list here. It says, And Hamath also shall border thereby, and Tyrus and Zidon, and you go down to verse number 5, and it speaks of Ashkelon and Gaza and Ekron and Gaza and Ashkelon again. Uh, and then in verse number 6, it mentions Ashdod of the, Philist, of, 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 of the, uh, of the land of Philistines. Uh, over into verse number uh, 7, it mentions Ekron. And so there's all these places that are mentioned. 
And I really didn't understand it, and I had to go to some notes and some, uh, some commentary thoughts on I wasn't understanding or following what this was, but someone pointed out that those cities was the, was the historical places where Alexander the Great went as he defeated one city after another. He's making his journey through. And history will tell us that as he was defeating all of these nations and all of these peoples throughout there, that when he got to Jerusalem, he didn't destroy Jerusalem. Now, he had the size, he had the power, he had the armies to do it, but he overpassed it and went on down to Egypt and defeated the Egyptians. And then he came back up through Israel And again stopped near Jerusalem and did not destroy Jerusalem. There's a promise here of God's deliverance for his people, and it certainly was in that instance. Uh, Alexander the Great defeated the Persians, who were were the ruling body over over, uh, Judah and Jerusalem and, and Israel at that time. But he didn't destroy them. But then it leads us to verse number 9. And it gives us a picture there in chapter 9, verse 9, of not just a a human leader, but of of a divine leader that was coming. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and what's it say there? Riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? Just what was it? Just a, a week? Was it a week? I can't remember. A week before his crucifixion? The, 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 remember Palm Sunday? Remember you, your kids this last year, right before Easter, they, they had their Palm Sunday crafts and all those things? This, that's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It was a symbolic gesture. It was a thing that kings did, riding in on a donkey. It it brought them in there. And and Jesus fulfilled this prophecy that day that he made his triumphal entry. So here we are 500 years before that. And Zechariah, in the midst of this time when there is no king in Israel, or not a real king, Zerubbabel was there, but he wasn't a real king. And he's reminding them of the king of the Messiah that was going to come and predicted that. Here we are, and you can go farther into the book of Zechariah, and there's even predictions of the future millennial kingdom that is yet to come. In fact, uh, uh, Zechariah will draw pictures of that millennial kingdom, uh, of a river running out of the, the throne of God, and what a great picture that is. And if that prediction of Messiah riding in on his donkey can be fulfilled, then certainly that prediction of that millennial kingdom will be fulfilled one day in the future as well. So there's this is a rich, rich book. I'd encourage you. Uh, it will not be an easy study necessarily for you, but it is a great study. If you want to dig into a, a book, I'd encourage you to consider the book of Zechariah. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this this minor prophet of Zechariah. I pray, God, you'd help us to read and study and to gain and glean from it. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight as we go home. Watch over and protect us. Be with our teenagers as they wrap up things this evening. Continue to be with them throughout this week, God, in these uh, teen revival meetings. 
Then, Lord, bring us back on Sunday, ready to worship and serve you on Sunday, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.